Hey everybody, welcome back to the 36th episode of Taps and Patience, if you count the two half episodes as half episodes, which I've decided that for my numbering convention, I am. I am AJ with Design the Everything. I am with Harrison of Precision Ingenuity. How you doing, Harrison? So, so why? We talked so about I'm gonna, this a I'm going to break it out podcast, even a little bit further than what we talked about. For the general audience here. So it all started over the weekend. I had a wedding that was about four hours away. And so I, I knew I was not going to be able to work on Sunday this week, which I had a huge workload lined up for this week already. And so started out, I was working hard on about yep. Thursday or Friday last week, trying to get stuff out the door and ran into some problems, but got them figured out. But I had to order tooling, which means that I couldn't do anything until Monday anyways. And so went to the wedding that was good, but I ran into some car troubles on the way, which was fun. I won't go into detail, but basically, to simplify oh, no. it, the simple version of it is is my bumper basically fell off the front of my car in some sense while I was going down the road at 80 miles an hour because <laughs> I didn't I didn't hit anything. No, it didn't. Did the whole bumper didn't fall did off. What had like, happened was go bye bye. Last winter, not this winter, but the winter before last, I um. It was really snowy and some ice hit the front of my bumper and cracked it. And today or that weekend was the the time that it it finally came free because I haven't really driven highway speeds because I've been going back and forth uh, between my house and the shop. Haven't really done any highway miles since I started my own business. And so that was the first time it had the wind and it just basically ripped the front off. (laughs) So scared the crap out of my wife um, who thought we blew a tire because um, it just sounded horrendous. So that happened. And then hmm. right before we came back from the trip, my key fob, my key snapped off my key fob. And so those of you who... I've done that. I've done that. The, those of you and, who and they can, don't, are watching the yeah, video, this thing is supposed to, to have a key to... that when I push this little button, it flips out. Yeah, the, the key is no longer there. So... I have a, a so, key that's in a that 3D printed case for that very reason. Anyways, that was super stressful. And then I got home from that. And on Monday, I had this big Zometry titanium job. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to ship out. I don't remember if it was Tuesday or, or Wednesday. At the, or uh, No, it was no, it was Tuesday because uh, we've already passed that. Um, today is Wednesday. <laughs> so on Monday... Yes. <laughs> we were fighting this titanium job. We, we stayed until probably eight o'clock, eight or nine o'clock at night fighting this thing. And I blew through over 15 inserts specifically on internal threading. So this titanium part had an, an ID thread that was a one half by 32. So you cannot buy a tap for it. We had to single point thread it. Okay. And which fun fact, I actually made my own, um, to be go no go gauge for half by thirty two, which was really cool, and it actually works. So I was super okay. happy about that. Uh, yeah, I had a I borrowed a Did thread you just measuring like make tool it from measure a it with thread wires, or and and I dialed in the go no go sides, mm-hmm. and I used that to run all these parts, and it worked fantastic. So yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> and we laser engraved it, so it's like it's got like the go no go, cool. and it's got the threads. Like it's it looks just like a thread gauge. We need to take a photo of that and put it on our uh-huh. Instagram account. Anyways, 
was having all these problems with these internal threads, blowing up inserts. Me and Weston were scratching our heads, could not figure out what was going on. Went to bed Monday night, not sure if if we were going to have to like scrap the job or cancel it or whatnot. Got up in the morning and I had a shower thought where basically I was like, I wonder if that thread insert tool's geometry is not lining up for some reason. Because basically what was happening was when we were thread cutting it, it was acting like a forming tool rather than a cutting tool because it would it would form the threads where you where where the diameter would shrink. It was pushing the material out yeah. of the way and actually shrinking the internal diameter. And that was the clue. Like I had noticed mm. it that it was doing it some, but I wasn't sure if it was just a burr that could be cleaned up because I've never really had good luck with internal single point threading. Anyways, I took the tool out of the machine and I, I have a different internal threading tool that's a different style. And I stuck them both on a set of parallels. I would have used the other one, but it was way too big for the hole that we were running. But I stuck it on a, pair of par- a, a set of parallels and I saw the tool that was correct. The geometry was such that it had like a, a positive rake angle versus the other tool had like a negative rake angle in the opposite mm-hmm. direction. And I I called up my Haas technician and he put me up in touch with a Haas application engineer. And I sent him photos and we talked through it. And he didn't want to believe that the tool was wrong. He says, it could happen, but I highly doubt it. And I took some photos and I sent it to him and we went over it. And he was like, you've got a bad tool. <laughs> so I I borrowed the same tool of the same machine shop that let <laughs> huh. me borrow their, their thread mic. They let me borrow a thread insert tool, uh, an, an internal threading tool. And it worked first time. It ran all the titanium parts, no problem, it, with an insert that wasn't even rated for titanium. Of course. And yep. it didn't break. It cut perfectly on size. It it yep. was flawless the whole way through. So I was so mad about that. So now I feel like, oh, now we're at the part of the story where I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this job out the door on time. No, no. These parts have an 080 tapped hole, two of them. So 160 080 tapped holes in these things. And I thought it was going to be fine. I've tapped 080 in the past. Honestly, at this point in the story, I had completely forgot about the conversations we had had about this. <laughs> yes. Yes. In my two weeks yeah. of struggling so I with completely, the exact that, same That was nowhere in my brain at this hold. point. And I've gone down the breaking taps. And taps and patience has made a full... Full, full 360. It's back to me. And um, anyways, I've blown through like yep. 10 taps at this point. And I got five more coming in the morning because I got to get this job finished up. And per our conversation earlier, um, floating yeah. tapping head would probably solve my issue at this point. And what's kind of cool is when you're a Zometry partner, I didn't know this, um, but twice a day they have a meeting and uh, like a zoom meeting that anyone can join to talk about the problems that their shop's dealing with. And I got on there and talked to a couple different machinists and they basically said for tapping titanium, one, use a form tap, not a cut tap, which I was using Two, um, lubricants are your friend. And they were talking about all these different crazy concoctions that they've come up with that have worked. Like some were mixing like anti-seize with like t- cutting tapping fluid or molly 
was something. What I ended up having was a. I have a. Uh, it's it's called like a easy easy foam or something. It's designed for tapping in aluminum, and because aluminum can be sticky and gummy, which so can titanium. And I used that, and that made a huge difference um, in my tapping of titanium. Um, still couldn't tap it all the way okay. through, but it got me to the point where I can tap half the hole on the machine and then the other half the hole off the machine. And having the lubricants seems to make the cut taps actually viable. Uh, and the cut taps that I'm using, I couldn't find a cut tap that was rated for titanium. So okay. the cut taps that I found were an OSG brand on MSC. And they are rated for a hard steel. And that was the best cut taps that I could find. So that's where I'm at. And I've had a long day every day this week. So I'm exhausted. <laughs> so I, that, I'm tired too. So I'm, I'm with you. I, I was just going to say, I've been describing my life lately as being a ca- in a caffeine spiral where I drink a lot of caffeine to get through the day and then it comes time to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed because I had so much caffeine, which makes me either not go to bed or have a hard time mm-hmm. getting to sleep. So then the next day, I just drink like twice yep. as much caffeine and it just kind of escalates and escalates. <laughs> I may need to just bite the bullet and like just not or, have or any take caffeine like some tomorrow just accept that I'll be tired like and grumpy and not very productive, <laughs> but I need to break that but. Yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Uh, oh no! But I oh, all, all oh, I was going to say is you're still even going. though I'm I'm struggling I was right now, to me. I'm extremely happy, and cash is starting to flow at greater rates right now. And and so, if we continue mm-hmm. on this trajectory, I see a new machine in our near future. I don't know how near, because right now we got to we need nice. to grow our accounts to a point where. We have a a healthy buffer, which we've never had in the business before. Um, But once that healthy buffer exists, uh, we can start talking serious thoughts about a new machine. So you didn't buy the VM3 I I sent you that had two minutes left on the the auction? I probably would have, honestly, at this point. Yeah, it would have been a perfect machine, but there was literally two minutes on the auction when I I sent it to you. I did did run over to Weston and was like, (laughs) Weston, 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 look at this, look at this, look at this. And he was like, what money do we have? I was like, I don't care. It's so cheap. so but anyways yeah quick get a loan (laughs) so let's talk about you so let's see this week i made a fixture for my carabiners which i only redesigned about eight times and then i made my very first carabiner core which does not work but it validated the process there's a billion things I need to fix okay. on it, but is that out the, of the sheet? The process is at least viable. I was going to say the edges look so slick. This is out of a sheet. Well, part of that is the webcam because half of the carabiner, the finishes on the walls are actually very, very good. The other half of the carabiner is very, very chattery. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to see that. There is a noticeable line that separates them, and. What I think happened mm-hmm. is this was being held down with two 440 screws. And I think on the last pass, when the uh, plate was separated from the carabiner, I think the end mill grabbed it and kind of pulled it in. And like, like there's clearance. Or 
the screws are in a clearance hole. So there is room for the material to move just a little bit. And so I think the end mill grabbed it and pulled it in and then was taking too deep of a cut, which I think explains why the chattery side thicker is thicker than the non-chattery side, if that makes sense. Okay. It I would think they thicker. would be thinner because it, it pulled it into it and cut more and therefore chattered. <laughs> that You have yeah, good point. It could have. Maybe it pushed it away. Uh, that would... that. <laughs> yeah. Or it was just vibrating, which caused it to be bigger. Either way, half of it's smooth, half of it not okay. smooth. And I think it's because it's moved. It's the only thing you're holding it on with is screws once it gets separated from the sheet. In clearance. Yes, holes. there's two 440 okay. screws. In Have you holes. considered using a shoulder bolt yeah. over a screw? I would consider using a shoulder bolt because... No. You can have not. a precision hole through your piece and then you can have a shoulder bolt down to a 440 or some size and then that'll keep it from moving around inside those threads. Um, and go ahead. That That is actually truly a great idea because I have two other holes, uh, one here and one here, yeah. that I drill and ream for when I flip it over. Mm-hmm. And a shoulder bolt would mean that I don't have to do any of that. Which means, yeah, two less holes drilled per carabiner plus two less reamed holes. Plus there is half of a reamer stuck in this part, which will probably be a recurring thing if I don't fix something. Yeah, that would fix all of that. I am going to get on McMaster after this and order some shoulder bolts. Because that fixes a lot of my issues. Except maybe head diameter. I'll have to pay attention to that because these... um, the head diameter is basically right on the mm-hmm. same size. Like the head diameter and the carabiner diameter is almost exactly the same. And I've just accepted that all of my 440 screws are just going to get slightly you narrower the the shoulder throughout bolt. this process. But yeah, that's yeah. They'll just get shaved down a little bit, but that's fine. That is a good idea. Shoulder bolts are the way the, but okay. So going back to this thing, I have a whole list of notes that I need to change. For example, I forgot to deburr it. Whoops. Um, I also only machined one side of it, and so I haven't even tried the the other side. But the the geometry on the hinge is a little bit wrong, and so you can mm-hmm. force it closed, but it wants to sit a little bit open like that. Gotcha. So I need to shorten the arm by like probably tenth hour or so. And then the other fun thing with this is I wanted these carabiners to be stiffer than the last ones, mm-hmm. both in like lateral motion, but also like opening force. And I way overcompensated and it takes, if I had to guess, I would say probably 20 pounds to open it. I Whereas would, the last ones I, I was aiming for five that, pounds. Honestly, myself. I, I agree. I, I would actually carry it Why like this with it being this stiff, but it is very difficult to open it. And I handed it to my wife and she had a hard time opening it. I handed I'll, it to Scott and he had a hard time opening I it. I see a new product variation it called Heavy Duty. Stiff. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that thought. Or. Yeah, but I mean, it feels nice and it's got a nice satisfying click to it. And I don't think yeah. this will actually technically need any lateral stability. Yeah, I, I, at I this point, we'll still if, have because it, you're making them out of a sheet, it it'd be real easy for you to vary that in a lot of different ways. And then you could just have like, a, you could honestly have mm-hmm. like a couple different versions of it and have that be some interchangeability where you could be like, you could have like 5, 10, 15, and 20 for your opening force and just have people be the ability to order whatever whatever force and then you could just just yeah and then you could just have as a disclaimer 
the heavier you get, they want. Uh, or the higher the force is, the less likely it is to twist on you in any way, shape, or form. But the harder it is to open, obviously. I actually think oh, the really? twisting is independent of the um, opening force, because, or at least largely independent. I believe the biggest factor in the like lateral Not stability strength. issue is the thickness of the material. Oh, okay. I don't know. I'm sure the flexure plays into. Okay, Maybe I'm not. sure the flexure matters. You're yeah, right. Yeah, I bet you're right on that. I would I think say it makes a difference, but a difference I would say less of a difference than the thickness of the total part. Yeah, they they look and these are they, thicker. Just which is another at it on nice camera, thing about making them out of It looks play. like a far more substantial so, carabiner. I like that a lot better. Yeah, I'm. Once I get all these little bugs yeah. worked out, I think like I would. We went up a quality tier. Yeah, we went up from like good enough to high-end product. And I, I'm i very happy about that. I wish I could have done that in the first place. This was big improvement. I was happy. I didn't bring, break any of my regular end mills, just the the tap and the... Um, so so your so you're tap... How many how many tapped holes are reamer. you going at a time? So, like, like, you said you got that floating tap head now. Do you, do you, is this the first time you've broken it since you've got that floating tap head? Yes, this is the first tap I've broken since I've got that floating tap head, and I have tapped hundreds and hundreds of holes. However, I think I know why I broke this tap. Uh, previously, I was you know struggling with well, literally the exact same hole, and I couldn't get it to work, and I broke you know twenty taps, and eventually we found the right combination of things. And one of the things in that combination was a oversized drill. And we were doing like a, mm-hmm. I don't know, a 50% thread engagement instead of a 70% or whatever it was. I copy pasted the exact same code with the exact same tools from my previous setup into this setup thinking it would work. And I followed that exact same setup sheet. However, I don't think I changed the tools in Fusion. All I did was change the tools in like the tool holders. So when I went to tap them this time, I was not using the oversized drill. I was still gotcha. using the drill. It was like the 75 or 70% engagement. And that is why I broke these. I think if I had used yeah. the proper size Which, drill like I was last fun time, fact, it wouldn't have been the, an issue. The Zometry guy that I talked to today about tapping 80 holes, he recommended going to the largest acceptable hole size for those. So, yeah. So I, I, I'll confirm. I haven't actually checked the tool that's in there just to make sure I didn't grab like a weird one or something, but I'm pretty sure that I'm using a undersized what, or well, I'm using the correct sized hole. What drill bits are you using hole. for? Tapping, I think that's why I'm drilling out your titanium. Basically everything where I can do this, I get the okay carbide PCB drills with the eighth inch shank. Basically all um, of my drills that are okay. under like an eighth. Are they inch designed are for titanium? And how long do they last? Not necessarily. I, oh, okay. Other than stupid breaks, I don't think I've ever broken one. Like I've never had one wear out. They're really good. Yeah, those those little PCB drills, which like you get them with fancy coatings and stuff. Like you can get them with the proper coatings for titanium. Like they're not yeah. literally just designed for the FR four or whatever that four is. So um, one of the things they work really well. They last and, a long time. And I'm a huge fan it. of is the Go drills from Kinemetal. Um, that I, I I learned about them from Titans of CNC. I literally, okay. if if I have it in a go drill size, I will get that because it's good for every material under the sun, pretty much. Um, I, I mm. they're not terrible. I mean, they're definitely more expensive than your average drill, but like for the ones that I'm using now, 
they're like 30 bucks 20 bucks yeah solid carbide okay are they carbide okay the the pcb drills okay. are like six to yeah, ten you bucks, can get these with, with through hole coolant also carbide which is cool like through uh, yeah i don't have it yeah either, but i uh, use it on my yeah, lake carbide drills don't have that stuff. but i don't have through hole coolant so, so. I don't care. yeah 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 the pcb drills are great and the other yeah. nice thing about them is i don't have to change calls no that's good i was just curious because i've been using this go drill and i've been super happy with its performance in titanium yeah i yeah i i like the pcb drills i use mm-hmm. them now in the side lock uh maritool holders that i have um because i was reminded of the whole thing where you have to if you're using one of those side lock holders you have to have a tool mm-hmm. with a higher shaft tolerance so that it's closer to true size otherwise you get run out and so i would basically they had like four tenths run out with what i was using which is too much for me with an eighth inch or a 16th inch tool but drills don't really care about run out so i just use those for my eighth inch drills yeah, now is. and coolant access is really really good on those side lock holders so uh for my actual cutting tools i have those now in my technics tool holders with the rego fix hardware awesome. and those are like it's it's perfect every time so i need to get some more nice tool holders i have five er16 tool holders those are my nice ones um but if i keep what, doing one small thing tools, that i, I did run into today probably some um, fits yeah, or i keep going back to the zometry uh, zoom meeting that i had because it had a lot of really good stuff in it um but one of the guys on there one of the machinists and i don't know if he worked for zometry was just tuning in and just chimed in a little bit he was telling me that he's got a tapping head that is floating, but it's designed for rigid tapping. So it only floats a very small amount and it's a lot more rigid, but it's designed for rigid tapping, mm-hmm. but still having the ability to float a little bit, which I thought. Yeah. I've heard about that's those. basically what you he know was they saying. Have floating I, I, ER collets? I don't know if it was, I don't think it was me, but it, Did you that's tell basically me about what those? it was. And I, that's what I was going to ask. Or was that was, someone else? I mean, one thing I was going to bring up was, I don't know if it was a floating ER collet or just an ER collet holder, but if it's a floating ER collet, I would love to get some and just add it. Cause I could just get that. And then it doesn't matter if we get a new machine, I can still use it. Yep. Okay. I believe they're made by Technics. At least the ones that I saw were Technics, which is good. The downs- downside, if it's really a downside of those, is they only flow oh, really? in one direction. I believe they only pull out. They don't push in. And so you have to Slightly. so you have to intentionally give it a, gotcha. a little bit of an intentional desync where it is, no matter what, the air is always going to pull out, basically. Yeah. So you have it spin a little bit faster than it should be. Or you set your, you set your thread pitch to but be I've heard good things about those. a little higher. Did you set it higher or lower? I think you want to set your thread pitch the same because you want the depth. Uh, yeah, but to in be fusion, correct. you have to you 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 can the RPM is tied to so that to force it to pull out, you have to desync it and bias it a little bit. And the yes. yeah, but you can do that just by changing yeah, your thread pitch. Which you may so need to if do. You in have that an code. eighty, and you set it to be eighty threads per inch. And you set it to be say eighty-two threads per inch. It's gonna slow your machine down which is going to pull it out because it's going to, it's going to, it's going to slow your feed compared to your RPM. So every, every 80 turns or every 80, your, your machine would go you for every 80 turns, your threads would be down or yeah, two extra. So yeah, something like that. Machine would do two extra. I don't know. You just have to make sure you go deep enough because the, the, um, 
depth would be determined by the number of rotations, not by how far your machine moves. So whatever that I'm I'm too tired to figure out that geometry, but yeah. Maybe or you would have to add a dwell. You'd, you'd at have the to add a dwell at the top. That's the thing basically, you, you engage, do. you dwell, and then you feed at the same feed rate, where you're forcing. Yeah, except there's a checkbox that you should add a dwell at the bottom. I don't think the they thread have a checkbox the same, to add a dwell at the top, but still tension it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, ooh, I did something with fusion to. Oh yeah, let's talk about it on the zometry part, which I guess was the other thing I did that we haven't talked about. Uh, I did the zometry part. That's that, that's basically the story. It it went pretty smoothly. The only reason I didn't get it right on the first try is because I finished before I roughed on one of the tools, um, <laughs> which was problematic. The tool actually stayed intact, but gotcha. it um, kind of chewed up the bottom of the part. Uh, other than that, it went fine on the first try. I'd need to package it up and send it and do the inspection report. But at least with like my quick check, everything seems to be pretty much dead on. I walked in the precision bore on it just a little bit, but it all seemed fine as at least within my capability to measure. But yeah, I did the zometry part. That was basically the whole story. When do you it expect to hear back? It took me way longer than it should have. But have you sent it? I had uh, two weeks after I sent it. No, I need to send it. I think there is. There's not a time limit on know. that, right? I remember someone saying it and that someone may have been you. But I was looking around yeah. online and I could not find any deadline. Also, I never technically requested okay. the material. They just sent it to me. Do they pay you for it still? And it was like, well, I guess I'm making the zometry part now. The, no. Then, then they probably removed the timeline. Because I definitely as well. spent like $100 on tooling. Because they, they paid, they treated it like an actual job when I did That's it. possible. It was your quote unquote first job from zometry and it was a pass fail. And you got paid if you passed. You didn't get paid if you failed. Yeah. And they sent you the material once. But I think that's what gave it the timeline was that they treated it like a job. You had a certain amount of time to get it done in and it had to match their stuff. And I think the reason they did it with a time limit was to keep you from giving it to a different shop and faking it. And so you you got the material, yeah. you had to get it done and get it back, I, I believe, if I'm, if memory serves me correct. That's kind of the way the reason it was done that way. So, well. I don't know. I just reopened my application one day to take a look at it. And then they sent me the material. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm making the zometry part now. And honestly, like a couple of weeks ago when I had my cash flow a little less, like I, I have a cash flow prediction document and I've done a lot of kind of updating on it recently and made it a little bit more precise. And my old version made the picture a little bit bleaker than it actually was. And so I was like, eh, I need to take ge- geometry. I need to take some zometry work to cover some cash flow gaps with my updated spreadsheet that has a little bit more capability. And like, like before on like machine payments, for example, I just like took my machine payment and I divided it out by four because this is I do this on a week. The cash flow is a weekly division, and I just like divided out that machine payment by four and just like dragged it down the spreadsheet, which theoretically on a month by month basis works out to be the same. But what it did is I was basically paying the machine payment before I had to actually pay it on the spreadsheet. And like, like that actually made enough of a difference where a couple times where it looked like we'd be out of money yeah. for a little while when we actually weren't, which is, it's probably better to think in that term. And though, like, just the, because you, like you said, you notice a problem before the problem actually happens. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I redid that and it's actually like, Without growth, 
we're definitely not going to be That's rolling good. in dough, but we're going to make it out of the year. So assuming nothing majorly goes wrong, assuming no growth. So we're not making a lot of money, but yeah, we're I, not not going to be I making money. I was just lamenting today that my my ability to handle stress in the both the financial and the part dealing has drastically changed over the last year. In the fact that I'm, it and takes a lot more to stress me worse. out. I, I, I was so, I'm so, and part of that could be that I'm just so stressed yeah. out right now that I've just lost the ability to stress anymore. And I'm just like tapped out. But like, even though we, the world is falling around, down around me, I feel great right now. And I think, I think, I think a lot of that just has to do with my confidence and yeah. <laughs> my ability to get stuff done compared to whenever I first started machining. And it's just, it's a, it's a really good feeling. Like I've like, if it wasn't for this titanium job that we're doing, that's kicking our butt right now, I would be on cloud nine because all of the work that I've been doing apart from that titanium job has been flowing like butter through the shop over, over the last two or three weeks. And like the quality of the parts that have been coming out bar any stupid mistakes on my part have been flawless and amazing. And, and I've just been, extremely happy and very very high confidence building over the last few weeks uh, especially with the ability to uh, grow our cash flow and sustain it That's and good. still feel like we in some respects have more wiggle room if we can get more efficient like we haven't tapped out our machines yet um it's it's more like mm-hmm. um planning and uh, getting our changeovers faster getting programming done sooner um, like there's a lot of time spent with the machines idle um, because they're waiting on something else from us. And with that in mind, that means there's a lot more cash flow those machines can be pumping out if we can get more efficient at doing changeover programming. And, and part of the part of the struggle is with there only being two of us is that and especially now that we're doing Zometry again, this is the number one complaint I have about Zometry is how much inspection time takes. You. You can you can spend thirty minutes to an hour inspecting some of these parts because of how complicated oh, yeah. they are, and that's time that if you don't have a machine running, um, is wasted, or if you don't have a job programmed to be running, like like there's just so much stuff that is can be delayed because you have you're forced to do the inspection before you can ship a zometry job, which I understand why they do it. I, I completely agree with it. Um, but it's just another factor in slowdown of machine work, which is nice, which I want to, it makes me want to get more jobs that I can fit in between the zometry jobs that I can just have running in the background um, that don't need as heavy of an inspection as zometry requires. No. And Does well, zometry require yes 100% no. inspection? They have some, they have a standard inspection and sometimes they have what they call a virtual inspection, which means you actually have to, inspect the part, submit photos. And in some cases, I think actually talk to someone on the phone or FaceTime or or zoom or whatever, and go over the part with them before you ship it. And those are called virtual QCs and some, yeah. And then sometimes they want like a full, like sometimes they want a full report (laughs) and and where they want every single feature measured um, before you can ship it. Um, So like, it it varies drastically depending on what their inspection requirements are. And the customer picks exactly. 
So jobs that have higher inspection how much typically have paying. a little higher cost, but that's to cover your time spent not running. So, yeah. Well, this explains why, yeah. like, the second big purchase that Servent Solutions oh. made was a CMM. Oh, my goodness. For yeah, I, this very reason, especially since they're doing a bunch of I, tiny stuff. We have talked about, me and Weston have talked about getting ISO 9000 and ITAR. Because one, they said it's a it's a pretty it's a decent sized jump mm. in the pay for zometry jobs, but also because if we do that, I was talking to some local customers. Uh, so let me, uh, I was talking to some local customers, and they would they would very much like us to be ISO nine thousand rated. Mm-hmm. So one of my my biggest customer really? outside of zometry, I dropped off some parts there today, and uh, he was lamenting to me that. He's got one shop that has been struggling with um, their personnel and they placed a large order to the shop and every single part that came in, they're having to rework in their shop. And so he was very upset about that. And then another shop that he outsources parts to, they've had some problems and it got so bad that the shop thought that the, that they were picking on them. And so the owner of the machine shop called the owner of this other company and basically said your your uh, purchasing team um, doesn't know what they're talking about and has caused a huge kerfuffle. And so, regardless, the purchasing oh, no. agent that I was talking to was like, since we've been doing work from you, we haven't got a single complaint from anyone. And he said, and with with us potentially walking away from one guy and then having problems with another guy, you're probably going to be getting a lot more work. And so I was like, yay. <laughs> so but he said Mm -hmm. right now they have no work to send out their their own internal cnc shop is like dead um and 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 my guess is it sounds like they have like four or five big machines that they're fixing to release my guess is they're all going to hit at the same time and they're all going to have really tight deadlines so so when that hits i'm probably going to go under for a few months (laughs) but yeah (laughs) We're going to well, come back was, and you have like a Speedio and a VF6. and The other shop guy showed up while I was dropping off parts. And I, I got kicked out of my meeting or with my talk with the purchasing agent because he the other guy came in. And when I was walking out, I'm, I'm walking out to my car that has a front bumper that's being held up by zip ties next to this guy in his brand new Bronco. <laughs> and I'm like, someday I'll have the money. <laughs> Yeah. Right now I'm the wee little shop that can, but I'm coming for you guys. <laughs> so you can buy their machines when they go out but, of business. <laughs> regardless, it's uh it's been stressful, but I'm I'm the happiest and the most content I've been and since since making the switch. If it's 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 a weird place to be in because I'm I'm super stressed out, but that's good. I'm super excited to see things growing and the potential of things like a new machine or, you know, maybe adding onto the building or something else because we actually are, might have the cash to start doing some of this stuff is awesome. It's just very, very stress relieving. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in a similar place where I am feeling more confident about, about this. Like I'm like, we'll make it out of the year, which is not something I was confident about a month ago or two months ago. And in fact, this is always what I've said has been, will be the sign that I'm confident in designing everything. I am selling my Honda Accord. Ever since 
yeah, ever since I left my last job, we've had three cars. We've had the minivan, we've had my Honda Accord, and then right before I left, we bought my $3,000 Chevy Silverado. And I do not drive the Accord anymore because that used to be the car that I would commute to work in. I had like a 45-minute drive to work and it was, you know, Honda Accord, great, great commuter car. Since going to design the everything full-time, that car has been driven, I believe, twice in the last nine months or so. Uh, once by me, and then it was once borrowed by by Scott. And it was like, I, I've kind of used that as an indicator of like, when I am willing to sell that car, it means that I am confident I'm not going to have to commute, commute anywhere again. And I think I've just gone to that point awesome. where I'm pretty confident that I'm not going to have to commute anywhere so I can sell the Accord. Which has the side effect of giving me an extra couple thousand dollars, which even <laughs> adds a little bit more that, to the confidence. That or someday we're going to see anymore. you going down the road on so. a one wheel. Trying to commute to your next job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there it may be one or two oh, shops man. within one wheel range. No, but... that's that's it's such a it's such a struggle getting going, but it feels good whenever like for me, it took us making it to about the thirteenth month of the business for me to feel like I actually had a business that was sustainable. And um, mm-hmm. it's taken until a month ago, which would be a year and a half for me to feel like the business is actually growing at any kind of substantial rate. Like I've, I've always had blips on the radar since we've started this business, but I've never had anything that actually stuck. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this is the first time knock on wood that, um, things have been growing and I just have a, <laughs> a huge smile on my face because of it. Yeah, that's definitely a nice feeling. I let's see. We were just uh, before we got on the podcast here. We were looking at like our cash flow projections for the next year and stuff. And like as I was thinking about it, we're on track to double last year. And granted, I wasn't full time the whole year last year, but we had the not for climbing Kickstarter, which did pretty well. So, oh, and actually, it wasn't following the calendar year. So, I don't know. We're still about on track to double, which. Is definitely promising. If we can yeah, double again, say, we'll be we're, pretty we're on track right double now. Double again, we'll be even better. To at minimum fifty percent last year, um, getting closer to seventy-five and maybe double. And that's that's just that's doing a simple, not looking at the actual growth of the company. That's just looking at past data. Um, mm-hmm. I did I did see yeah. the coins today. That's awesome. Yes, that was. Those have kind of gone under the radar. So what's going on with those? those and we like finally amazing. started talking about those today. Yeah, so we, I came up with another mm-hmm. algorithm or a modification to my existing algorithm that basically added in, like, all right, let me take a step back here. So the last coins we did used a mm-hmm. generative algorithm to design a pattern that kind of looks like a maze. And we mm-hmm. sold a hundred of those in like three days, I think, on Kickstarter. And I was happy with them. They The manufacturing process was fairly easy. They're fairly quick. Uh, they're not the most profitable thing I sell, but they're good enough uh, and they're super easy. And in the process of making those, I had a couple coins where I had an end mill break. And it kind of left this kind of cool, interesting fade pattern where the maze just fades out. And I took five of those coins and I refinished them and I sold them as a special edition that we called the, the Wabi Sabi coins. And people loved them. They were really popular. I had a slightly different surface finish on them. And so I decided to do a run of those intentionally made. 
So then I got to figure out how to modify my algorithm so that it intentionally replicates a tool that's breaking. And I, I did it and I liked how the coins look and we're going to do a Kickstarter. So it is going to be a smaller Kickstarter. We are intentionally keeping it small and limited to 50 coins which only works out to be like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars worth of sales max. We are want it gonna, to be small. Are they going to be the, we don't the want same it to thing? interfere with everything else. We're it, it's like generative art coin number two colon wabi sabi so, or something like that. And we're actually even doing it on Scott's Kickstarter account instead of which was the original so design. I, I of just pulled up your Instagram account. to look at your coin. Do you want to pull that up a second for those that actually have the video? I, yeah. I want I want to see if you see what I'm seeing right now. Okay, this could just be me. Does it look like a yeah shooting some sort of energy? Is there beam? someone a man on his knees <laughs> with like I I saw I, I see, see that someone who's like or he's charging like up some sort of beam and his hair is flowing back while the beam is flowing forwards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh, I can see that. We got some like Dragon Ball <laughs> Z action see. here. You're, this these coins are these coins are going to become the <laughs> I see the, it. Uh, the clouds in the sky where people are can, can start interpreting what what they are. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or like the ink block blot test. Yeah. Now I will say on this coin, this the there's a bunch of randomized parameters, mm-hmm. but this one is towards the end of more empty space. I still really and a lot like of the other one, ones. Yeah. Like especially now that I see that in empty it. space, I think we did say if we sell out in the first twenty four hours or the first forty eight hours, I don't remember what we said, but we said one of those things. If we sell out super duper fast, we're gonna convince Harrison to make a batch of brass coins and have those idea. as a, another option. I've been wanting to, I've been wanting to do some brass coins anyways at some point. So I would, I, so. I would like brass coins. Okay. Well. It's, if we sell we 50 coins in a day, then you can make some. Uh-oh. Speaking of which, your success is worrying me, sir. I, I, I'm I, afraid that you're going to make <laughs> me buy so. a lathe to make the pens. What? Oh, yeah. Because you're going to get busy with all of your, your big name clients. No. And I'm going to be I, back here I, like, I, okay. can I get 12 I pens? I treat all my customers, especially the ones that um, I'm good friends with and do podcasts with equally. And the only thing that... <laughs> can i have preferred i i put things on a please? schedule and i try to <laughs> i try to make everyone's stuff either by yeah. or before their stated date unless something major happens such as titanium jobs that are just a uh well yeah i won't i won't say exactly what they are but not fun <laughs> so <laughs> we know yeah, I yeah. I was thinking about lathes though, not too seriously. There's, I mean, like a cheap lathe isn't out of the realm of possibility at some point here. Basically, if the if the pen Kickstarter does like fifty thousand dollars or whatever, then we may I may invest in a lathe, maybe like one of those GT twenty well, sevens, maybe a Tormach. I have much more lathe options that which, I can fit in my shop. Would you ever be I interested in a Haas ST fifteen? So. Because at some point, potentially, no, it's a fifteen. It's a fifteen. Is that so? I thought yours was an SC ten. It's got a Is two and a half inch through bore. Oh, okay. but if we if we start if we upgrade the lay or the mill, the next machine we're going to upgrade is a dual spindle Y axis lathe, and so I'm going to sell 
that our ST15 if slash when that time comes uh, to upgrade to a larger machine. <laughs> well, hopefully we sell like $60,000 yeah, worth no, of pens I, uh, and then I can get it. I want to, my, my next lathe is going to be a dual, like we, me and Weston were talking about this the other day. You know, it, Weston posed the question to me out of the blue. He's like, if you had to choose between a dual spindle, and I'll ask you the same question you asked me. If you had to choose between a dual spindle or a live tooling or a y-axis on a lathe, and you can only have one of those three options, which would it be? The live tooling without that's the, the y-axis is nearly as useful, so I'd have to go with the dual spindle. And that's basically right. And and for me, there's so many different lathe parts as a job shop that can be done on a dual spindle lathe because you can just do simple turning with everything, and then you can have a finished part that it makes so much more sense to do over a y over mm-hmm. a live tooling with a y axis because you're not going to use live tooling on everything but you will almost certainly use a dual spindle on every single part yes now if it was a choice between y axis with live tooling or dual spindle i think that choice becomes a lot more difficult and i would i probably would probably too, go just with for the, the fact y that axis i can turn a part around tooling. but i can't add live tooling <laughs> exactly or you yeah. can uh, take it and put it yeah. in the mill and deck off the top or whatever it needs. But I, that being said, I one of my local machine shops just got a yeah. live tooling lathe. It was not Y-axis, and it doesn't have dual spindles. And they do a lot with it. Like, you can actually do a lot. Excuse me. You can actually do a lot without the Y-axis. Because basically it just treats that your your spindle to get everything to line up with your Y axis. The only time you need your Y axis is if you're doing off machining where you couldn't get to it by rotation. So, which there's not very many situations where I think you actually need that. Now, the other thing that I might get before a lathe would be that pocket NC five axis. Cause I do all the surfacing and it has a high speed spindle. Plus I could probably make pens on it and I could do cool things on pens that I couldn't do on anything short of a uh, a lathe with live tooling. Yeah, Plus, it'd I'd probably be more useful on zometry. You could probably make... I've, I've thought about getting that as my first small high precision parts if, if we're growing the business. Um, so I can, one, get practice. Um, two, I can take on zometry jobs and do odd, odd job stuff that locally um, without having to invest in a major machine. Basically, the same thing that I did with the Tormach. It's 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 the five axis equivalent of a Tormach, yeah, although exactly. I would I would argue that it's probably going to be a little bit higher quality. So, yes, a I lot, think it's a much lot higher quality, nicer built. Not to knock Tormach, um, but they're built at a price point where I don't think this will be. Yeah, and Pocket yeah. NC loves to use premium components. I think sometimes to their detriment. Like I think their small machine could have been a price bracket cheaper. But yeah. they use all name brand fancy high end stuff. Their spindle, their their linear rails, their yeah. motors, everything. And, and that's one of the things that I am fancy I'm name brand. Looking forward to most on that thing when it finally comes out is the shunk, the built in shunk um, quick change. Yes, like I think that is going to set them apart more than anything else because it's just it just for five axis it makes too much sense to not do that. Like, like that is the way of the future for five axis. Yes. No, the downside of needing expensive pallets. You, you can probably, machine or at least your own expensive pallets, pull yeah, stuff. Because I assume you can machine your own pallets, but, but it's super cool. 
Yeah, I because you could you could real easily take one of those machines. I, and I, I know they're building this functionality into it and stick a robot arm or something to load the pallets in front of it and just let that thing run unattended. And yes, there to my understanding. And I think this is just on like an idea. I don't think this is something they've even begun working on. But the idea is oh, that you cool. can control a pallet pool right off the controller. Um, yeah, which to be fair, the other thing I my Isn't only other like concern about that machine something? is their controller. I wasn't it. Okay. It's browser based, but it is all local. I don't know. I didn't love it on my pocket NC uh, or my. Yeah, uh, I should call it a V2 because they're not even pocket NC anymore. Now that I think about it, I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. But also, I only had the beta version of their newest software, which had some cool features. And also, I was running it on a crappy computer. I think if I had a touch screen okay. on a just slightly better computer, it would have been better. I also need to learn, like, would need to learn, like, yeah. rotated work coordinate systems and all that stuff, which I but, don't understand yet. But Anyways, uh, let's see what else. I think I picked up my first customer that's going to be ordering parts on a recurring basis. <laughs> Were they heavy? I, I don't know. I haven't met them in person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but that was just my phone. <laughs> well, you picked them up, <laughs> but no, uh, I'm excited about that. It's not going to be a high paying job, but it'll be a consistent once every month or two, uh, type of job. And that'll, and, and if I could get, you know, a hundred customers That's like good. that that are, none of them are particularly big, but they all have, you know, a small order that I know they're going to be placing Then I can, I could make those parts and have them sitting on standby. And then they just call like, whenever I get time in between jobs, I can run them, have them sitting there, have them ready to go. They call up and say, Hey, I need yeah, 50 nice. pins. And I have them done on the shelf because I know that they're going to be ordering them. But <laughs> I said pens. <laughs> you say they were pens? No, these aren't pens. No, these aren't. These aren't. Okay. These aren't. Wait, is that person? No. Okay, I was about to say. No, I mean, you can make a, pens a, for other people. I was like, wait, really? Are they pens? It's like a spring coil thing for like Baja trucks or something. It's a really cool looking part. Um, but and that one is fun because I believe I'm competing with people who have dual dual spindle lathes and it makes it a lot harder for me to compete. But for now, but I think I did yep. something for now where I was able to get my material price down compared to everyone else considerably. And other, he, he mentioned the same. So I'm going to try using tubing uh, because it's got a large hole in the middle. And a lot of the other shops were telling him that Okay. a lot of the other shops were telling this guy that they couldn't <laughs> yes, do that. It does. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing it. So and what's nice is I have a lot of off-cup tubing from a different job. Not that I turned, but that a different machine shop turned, and they were going to throw it in the scrap bin. They're like, hey, you want this scrap material? I was like, yes, please. I'm poor. <laughs> I'll find a use for it someday. And I think I found a use for it. So, Ooh, That reminds me. I have a chunk of titanium okay. that lives in the middle of these carabiners that I feel like I need to find a use for. How about I'm thinking bottle opener pin clip. or maybe or pry bar? That's actually a really good idea. Could you make it? Yeah. No could you make a pin clip, clip out of that? Could you fit one in there? I could. I could. So part of my problem is I don't really want to do the machining, 
like right now when I'm mm-hmm. doing the carabiners because it would slow down the cycle times on things I don't necessarily need. Yeah. But I could do like a hole in it or mm-hmm. two holes in it, something quick so that I could easily use it later. That's a good idea. I'll have to. Well, I know this is three inches long. How long? Yeah. Yeah. A pen clip will definitely fit in there. <laughs> hmm. Yep. You're a genius. <laughs> now I got to I mean, figure that, out how to make pen clips That's just the thing that too. comes to mind. Thanks. <laughs> All other things that would also fit in there that could, you could do. Let's see here. I think I don't really actually need to figure it out yet. I'll just put two holes in there, you know, three inches apart, and yes. then I can figure mm-hmm. out what'll fit later. So, yep, that's a good idea. <laughs> Did I tell you about the uh, before Mm-mm. I started like pushing speeds and feeds? What the runtime on this pallet was going to be? So. This was with super, super, super conservative speeds and speeds. I want to make that clear. Very, very super conservative. At 10,000 RPM? It was going to be 28 hours per pallet. Okay. No, that was probably like 6,000. It was also like the way that I got to that was Mm -hmm. I copy pasted my tool paths over from when I was using a feed mill, which I was running like really, really fast, but shallow depths of cuts. And then I traded out to my two and a half millimeter traditional end mill. And I did not adjust the ramping down or the depths of cuts, um, but it slowed down the feed. And that's how I got to the 28 hours. I Mm wouldn't from this, I went down to a more reasonable depth of cut. I was doing like, it was like six thou or something with the other one. And on this one, I think I did 40 thou depths of cuts. And with those, with those uh, speeds and feeds, I think it was like eight hours per pallet which is doable, but still slower than I would like. I would ideally like to have pallets be about four hours so that I can like um, make pretty good use of the night run, but then also like come in in the morning, run a pallet, program something else, pull the pallet off, do whatever like prototyping R&D I need mm-hmm. to do, put the pallet back on and then run the night run. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to try to get that Makes down sense. quicker. Um, and I'm sure there's room for a lot of optimization you've seen my code my code is generally very unoptimized if i'm if i'm I'm being honest (laughs) yeah you you Uh should have seen when i was reaming the holes on my fixture i did not adjust the the feed height and so it was feeding from like half an inch at two and a half inches per minute (laughs) and it just took for ever and i was like harrison would hate this and then i i went and got lunch that stuff stresses me out so much <laughs> i know it does not it does not stress weston me. hates but me i was laughing at it knowing that you would hate me for it i i will sit there and watch the machine and weston's like what are you watching the machine for it's like you got it programmed it's working fine just leave it alone I'm like but i see things that i can speed up and then like i'll watch it i'll be like oh that was enough a move that didn't need to be made. Yeah. And I go over and I change the code. And then it's like, I spend more time running back and forth, speeding things up than I'll ever gain out of it. But what it does do for me is it allows me to catch all that stuff on the front end of future jobs. And I've gotten to the point where I, I've, I'm pretty well optimized on almost any job that I run yes. at this point. Like I'm, I'm way faster out of the gate. And, yeah. it, and like, if I want to be super optimized, there's usually less on the table for me to do that. So for things like fixtures and one-offs, I do not worry about it in the slightest. When I start going to production, I get to something that works and then I slowly start fine-tuning it in. 
for these carabiners, I'll probably spend the first week fiddling with it. And then I'll have a good reliable process. You know, that's forever after that. Uh, the other thing I have been doing a lot more recently, and this is lessons learned from the Zometry part, is to start storing templates for my toolpaths. I used to do that very actively when I had the Pocket NC and I had a really good library of Pocket NC toolpaths that I could just, you know, pull from Fusion. Since then, they've made the system a lot better, but I hadn't been using it with the my Tormach. And like ever since doing the Zometry part, because I was doing a lot of stainless, which was kind of new to me, like I have been making just tons of toolpath templates and naming them in a way that's easy to find and understand. And yeah, that'll yeah. save me a lot of time been, going forwards. Not as much as I should. Do you use that I'm feature? Honest. What the, I end up doing is I've got a, in my head, I've got a library of parts that are similar. And if I have a job that comes up, I will go find the part yeah. that I ran that was similar to it last time. And I will copy and paste all the code from that one. Um, and then I'll tweak it from there. And that's really fast, except for the fact that it relies on my knowledge and is something that I have to go dig. If um, So templates would be a better option. I do have a couple templates yes. that are set up. I have one set up that I can add, and it'll bring the table of my Tormach front and center at the end of a cycle. And so basically it just centers the table in front of the operator. Ooh, that's nice. Which is super nice. I have another one that I use for any long tooling. So if I have to drill a hole in a tall part with a long drill bit, um, the umbrella is going to hit it. And so I have a, a block of code set up that I put in between mm -hmm. tool changes and it'll move the table as far to the corner as possible. That way it's out of the way. That way it can do a tool change without worrying about drill bits crashing into parts. And, and then on my lathe, I have one set up for the uh, bar puller. So... I have a I have a bar puller from Okay, that makes sense. Royal. And uh, I have a block of code that I hand wrote to basically use it. And I just have a couple lines of code that I have to change to tell it it um how far it's moving um for to grab the part and then where is it pulling back to and all the rest of the stuff's hard coded. I did oh, not yeah. realize that you could put multiple tool oh, paths yeah. in the same template. Either that's new or I just didn't know about it. Okay, so I just didn't know about it. That is very handy because mm. I have a template that's like a drill tap deeper 440 holes, which I do a lot of 440 holes. At least I have been recently. Yep. And you just drop it in and it goes. The only thing I wish you could set on it is I wish you could set yeah. like, hey, you, do you, all the holes in this diameter range. Mm. And I don't think you can. Yeah. You can with the fancy stuff in the manufacturing extension. Um, which by the way, I did use my trial because I was about to kick fusion, trying to get it to deburr that, um, zometry part. And I was like, screw it. I'm using my trial have, just to deburr the zometry part, but I'm going to have to try that. The deburr tool is very magical. Eventually have to pay for fusion, which is going to be next year because we've crossed the threshold at this point. And so when my, it, when my trial runs out, we're going to have to buy it. <laughs> No, but not the manufacturing extension. No, when we buy it, you have um, the I might get the extension? manufacturing extension no, at that yeah. point. Um, but I think if I try, can you? Are you on the free trial or are you paying for Fusion? Okay, because I think when you're on the no. free trial, yeah, for which years. is basically what we are, because we're a startup company, they let me count as one. But they never let me count as. A I'm going to cross, company. like I said, I'm going to cross the threshold. I think I, I renewed it before we crossed that threshold at the beginning of this year, and. When it when I have to renew next year mm -hmm. at our current projection, 
I'm not going to qualify for it. So at that point, I'll have to buy Fusion. Yeah. At which point, I will probably make sense to go ahead and get the manufacturing extension. I, man, on the manufacturing extension, there are things that I would love to have on there, but like they're just a couple niceties that I don't need. And like, I, I don't know. I just, I think they need to add like 50% more okay, value well, to the manufacturing the, extension without sabotaging the one thing fusion. in Fusion that would make the manufacturing would be worth extension worth a lot more to you, but you have the same problem I do is we don't have wireless probes. If we had wireless probes, I would probably yes, have the manufacturing extension already because I would just set up all, I would have my parts modeled in a vice and my vice known. And, yep. and then I just have to line up my, I just stick my parts in the vice and be like, probe it and then start running. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or if I were to do more four and five axis stuff, um, I have that fourth axis. I very rarely use it. And when I do use it, it's generally uh, pretty simple. Positional. Uh, what do you call that? Orientational. Three plus one. Positional. Thank you. Yeah. Fairly simple Which, positional but, stuff. So, but I don't know. I, I use my trial. The deeper tool that they added is pretty slick. It, the only problem is it's a little bit overzealous and it will like deeper everything, including things that it can't deburr from the angle it's at. But other than so, that, you know what you need to do? It's pretty much just press button, get chamfers. You need, you need to get your, you need to take your fourth axis and get a self-centering vice you can mount on it. And then you need, and then you need to take the center part I know of your titanium and you can stick it in your fourth axis and then you can get to both sides and you don't have to worry about holes and you can, you can machine your pin clips out of that. Yeah. Kowalski CNC, the same guy mm-hmm. I buy that end stop or I bought that, uh, end stop for my mod devices from. I saw that. Uh, he, by the way, he just released a second version of it and it's pretty cool. And I want one, but it costs money and money is money, but he sells a, adapter for a fifth axis vice for my fourth yeah. axis um, fifth axis the company not but anyway and his oh, adapter nice. is actually really reasonable it was like a hundred bucks yeah. or something um, but the fifth axis vice was like 400 bucks yeah and it was a little itty bitty dovetail vice and money is money and i don't have it and i want to keep the money i have i, I keep thinking about this things. pen clip but i also more. want the things that cost I can't money help it do you have did you have a pen available right there in front of you Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah okay tactile turn is that one you did or someone else did? slider have you thought about making your pin clip no this part is of the actual else. sliding mechanism or did you want to keep those separate okay i want to keep them separate but yes i could yeah and it might actually even be the pin clip might be a nice way of releasing the bolt but i think it would be less secure on the pocket or give it some weird wear or something i don't know it would have some wiggle to it which i don't want that being said, I also That's don't have I much of. of a place to because put your, a your design pen clip. is so your design is so round right now, and there's not really a good way to do it. I would do that. I was wondering if instead of having the bolts that you're going to have to add through it anyways, if you could make a pin clip that would bolt into that location, you'd have to change the what your whole, what your slot looked like a little bit to accommodate it, but you could have a little bit different of a slot profile to to house like a oval or a rectangular structure that would connect to the mm-hmm. pin on the inside and then bolt through it. Does that make sense? What if yeah, what if I bolted to the pen clip from the inside of the pen by sticking the screw and the screwdriver through the bolt slot? You're going to have to tell that to me one more time. I'm not following. Okay, so normally with a pen mm-hmm. clip, 
Uh, it's either like a sheet metal style like this that's secured by a cap, or you have screws going through the mm-hmm. through clearance holes on the clip into threaded holes on the pen. I don't have room for threaded holes on the pen. But what I could do, because I already have a slot on the pen, is have clearance holes on the pen and oh. threaded holes on the clip. They could be blind from the outside. And then yeah. I could stick a screw through that slot. That'd be, that'd be super slick. It down. It'd have to be a very small screw. That would be clean. There would be no exposed fasteners. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. That would work well. <laughs> you don't you have to solve all with the pen clip. <laughs> that would be like a big upgrade. No, the, pe- the, the clip would be an option. Well, yes, one, people would be like, why does the pen clip cost as much as the pen? And two, but it's a lot more why. work to do it. But that would be that would be awesome. Yeah, that would work really well. That would be cool. <laughs> Don't you like how you went now from I, I have this extra clip. material to now I have to design a pen, pen clip and I have it all planned out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you can do the Grimsmo thing where you can put your company logo on the inside of the clip. <laughs> I could. We don't actually put our logos on anything, but that would be a place mm-hmm. where I would be okay with putting a logo. Does Grimsmo, think so. does he and have screws on the outside of his pen clip? has any is because of, he doesn't have any fasteners in his, I don't think. I, I think it just all threads together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. It's, and oh like yeah, because he makes them out of tube. His pen clip wraps all the way around, like his, his clip mechanism. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole circle that goes around the whole pen. Yep. Which, really? I'm not going to lie. I think his pen is ugly. That being said, yeah, I think it's ugly. That being said, the like the construction yeah. of it and the mechanism is so good. Like it's not my style. I think it's an ugly pen, Hot but tank. it is <laughs> so well designed and so well made. Oh man. Hot take, but it's ugly. It I mean, it's it's a style preference. I think it's. I, I, I'm gaudy, just amazed that he was able to build his business off of you. three products. You're th- that's you, true. We have two people on this podcast that are very prone to distraction. So, yeah, and I think we would both do much that's better true. if he, we were more like focused on and focused on things. Oh, look at that mini saga! <laughs> oh man, yeah, he, that's awesome. See, he made a mini one. I w- I'm making a mini one. No, I think he just did that for prototyping. I don't think he ever Which sold any of ironic. them. Does anybody know? Have Dead I don't think I've told anybody about the mini pens. Mini pens may happen. This is the official announcement. Yeah. I'm actually really excited for the little stuffy pens. That's a knife clip. Okay, so his pen clips are yeah. fastenerless. Or his knife clips are fastenerless. They're fastenerless they're, from they're the inside? Fastenered from the inside. There's, <laughs> yeah, as one does. Yeah. Ugh, well, is this yes and no. I mean, this is still relevant to what you're working might on. Be. <laughs> so we could, we'll, we'll file it under research. It is R and D. This is the, this is the R in the R and D. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he met Alex Steele. That's cool. Sure. Well, shall I play the music? All right. <laughs> it's that time I am where the you music. go and tell everyone that you just got listening to a new podcast from Taps and Patience, and then everyone looks at you and goes, "What?" <laughs> so go out and tell more people so they don't say what. <laughs> this is Harrison with Precision Ingenuity. Thanks for hanging out with us for another week and signing out here with AJ from Design the Everything. 
I, I can't find the right window. There we go. Bye. <laughs>